Squawk Oscars show. This is your host, Noah Trainer, joined as always by Max Wood. <coughs> Max, how did you see the Oscar nominations this morning? Walk walk me through your morning when you saw that the nominations dropped. Yeah, so a day in the life. Uh, I had a, a 10.05 a.m. class today, so to avoid paying for parking, I take the um, uh, 9 o'clock shuttle. So I wake up at 8.30, which just so happens to be the same time the uh, Oscars nominations are being announced. Um, I'm glad we're on the East Coast. Don't have to wake up at 5.30 a.m. like some West Coast podcasters and their poor souls. But yeah, I look at my phone. First thing I see is supporting actor. First thing I notice, our be- beloved Paul Dano is not, not on the list. Not nominated for the Fablemans. I'm losing my fucking mind over this shit, man. Uh, we're going to get into all that and more today. Welcome to the Squawk. Uh... Season 3, episode 2, two I believe. Yeah. Um, we're here to talk about the Oscars because it's our favorite thing to do, Max and I. Um, I made Steven talk about it last semester, and he probably didn't <laughs> care, to be honest. Um, but I care very deeply about this shit. Not, you didn't care enough to, to post on Twitter uh, your nomination predictions, though. Well, I don't predict the nominations. I think that's, that's, that's weak, personally. But, like, there's no fun in predicting the nominations like you predict the winners i did both but why i don't know i had too much time on my hands (laughs) yeah exactly i mean i also have too much time on my hands because we can we'll go through this as part of it but i have my movie awards spreadsheet uh excel spreadsheet on my computer which is more of a sheets guy yeah it's what i would i don't know not sheets uh Microsoft Excel. Yeah, I'm saying I'm more of a Sheets. Oh, you're I'm, more of a Google yeah, Sheets guy. Yeah. I was Google Sheets for a while, and then I just realized Excel was so much better. Um, and I got a Mac, so it was just sure. easier. But um, I just write down like on my spreadsheet what I want to win. Both. Yeah, I've 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 two two docs. I have both nomin like it's all the nominees I would have picked, like who I would have nominated the five, and then who would have been my winner. So I have that for every year going back to like let's see. I've watched at least, like, ten movies a year going back to 1972. You were born much. then? No. That's, that's, they, that's, that's what you sounded like. I've watched ten movies a year. No, I've, I've seen... <laughs> Ever ten, since... <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen ten movies from just about every sure. year going back to, like, about 1972. Which okay. Is like the Godfather. So, like, modern cinema. I still have a lot of work to do in terms of classics. You've seen a lot more classics. Yeah, I think, uh, I yeah, I went on a film noir binge in the 40s and 50s, especially the 40s I'm pretty well versed in. And then uh, you've been in film classes. You had to watch, like, 20s stuff, I'm sure, like Buster, uh, not no, Buster Posey. What's I, that guy's name? Buster Keaton. Yeah, Buster <laughs> not the not the Giants, <laughs> former Giants catcher. Legend Buster Posey. <laughs> uh, film, film great, cinema great. Um, yeah, no, uh, but... I just I, we never really like got into that and like I've I've said. Did you have to watch the the movie where they like split the eyeball open, the French one? No, I did not. Oh, that's it's so gross. I, I've been frustrated by my film classes here because media arts is the production side, but the I took like two VAMS classes, which is film and media. Yeah, that's studies, what I took. And that's like the analyzing film or whatever. And you must have been slacking it because I we were assigned those the silent we films. We watched in my. 
fam's class, we watched The Sixth Sense, Fight Club. Uh, the only, like, really old one we watched was Battle of Algiers. Yeah. And then we watched Do the Right Thing, um, Rear Window, and a couple of other, like, documentaries from, like, the 70s. But uh, nothing, like, really old. We hmm. never really... Yeah, we watched The Lonely Villa, D- uh, D.W. Griffith, um, and two others. Uh, one Buster Keaton and one... The one film where they split the eye open. The it French one. It just wasn't like a film history class. It was just like a film analysis class. And I switched to media arts so late in my college career sure. that I didn't really have time to go back and take like a bunch of film and media studies classes for fun as electives. You know, I kind of had to squeeze as much as I could in because I was a stupid advertising major for two <laughs> years. And before that, I was sports management. So I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, so that's why I spend most of my free time just looking at um, the... 95th Academy Awards. For escapism as you were in your advertising classes? Yeah, exactly. That's why I started a spreadsheet um, and started cataloging my favorite stuff from every year. If you go on my Letterboxd, uh, MB Trainer on Letterboxd, look me up, <laughs> boy. Um, it's just like a list for every year going back to 1972. Uh, you can see what my ranking was for the films that year. And then the spreadsheet expands on all that by saying what I thought should have won Best Picture, who should have won Best Actor. I do all the main awards, so like picture, director, all the acting categories, screenplays. Um, and then for tech, I kind of like simplify the other awards so that it's not like too complicated. So I, I, I just avoided tech. So I have score, cinematography, sound, editing, uh, visual effects, production design, costumes, makeup slash hair. I still don't really know what to look for when I'm, when I'm looking for editing, the best editing. Makeup slash hair I, is normally two separate things, but I combine them because I don't really care. Um, it's probably the category. Would you play list. them during the commercial break? <laughs> no, I I agree that every category should be broadcasted, which this year they will be. That's good. Because uh, last year, like they snuffed like cinematography and like score and shit. They had to show the Johnny Depp movie. Yeah, they had to show Minamata. <laughs> uh, no, th- you know what they had to show was the Oscars cheer moment, Flash entering the Speed Force. You know, everybody, oh, everybody yeah. in the Academy just cheered when that played. Yeah. They were all just the the wave of emotion. They realized... They were all dressed up in their superhero Zack outfits. Zack Snyder is the true auteur of our time, let me tell you, all right? I've been on this podcast. I've been on uh, writing about this shit for a while that I believe that Michael Bay is a true auteur. I can't get there with Zack Snyder. I just I can't Have get you seen the Zack Dawn Snyder. of the Dead uh, remake? No, I've heard that's good. That's probably my favorite movie of his. Yeah. I've mostly seen his superhero stuff, and then I saw 300. Oh, 300 is awful. Yeah. That movie's so bad. I didn't like it when I was younger, and I should have thought it was cool at the time. Everybody else did, and I didn't then, and I don't now. But I haven't seen all of it. I remember it was on TV, and there was, like, a very, um, like, gratuitous, like, sexual assault scene, among other <laughs> things. And I was like, you know, maybe maybe this isn't for me. Thanks for sharing your very personal experience with us. It, well, it's a movie. <laughs> Should, have you ever told the, the last no. story on Mike? No. Let's let's skip past your last <coughs> story. Oh, it's so I don't if you've seen The Last Duel, um, there are multiple sexual assault scenes in that movie. And I would just say, you know, maybe look at a plot summary of a movie before you take your first date <laughs> to to that movie. <laughs> Uh, I I honestly can't remember if we told that story on Mike before. I don't think so. <laughs> Anyways, incredible, incredible moment in Max White lore. It's my favorite story about you. 
I just it, it cracks me up every time. Um, yeah. Uh, anyways, what was I talking about? My spreadsheet. spreadsheet. My spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah. What else do I got on there? I have best documentary, best animated, best. How many times do you like actually watch the documentaries? Uh, I watched a decent amount. Of I don't even remember what one last year. Oh no, it was that one. Was it the, uh, like refugee one? I remember I tried to watch that and it wasn't on any services. I did, not, I did not watch that. I don't watch any of the shorts. I don't care about the shorts. But like, I do see enough documentaries each year to fill out a five. Like, they might not be the Oscar ones, but I like. 2021, my five documentaries were my winner was Beatles Get Back. Uh, then I had History of the Atlanta Falcons, The Velvet Underground, uh, Todd Haynes, uh, Roadrunner, which was the Anthony Bourdain movie, uh, which is the one that kind of got in by default because it was like the fifth one I had seen and it was just kind of like, all right, I'll put it on there. Um, and then the Sparks Brothers, the Edgar Wright one, which I really enjoyed. Um, not exactly a deep dive journalism documentary. It was just kind of like, here's an overview of their career. But it was jolly good vibes, and I saw it in the theater, so that was cool. And then obviously 2020, my the best documentary winner I have on any of these. History of Seattle Mariners. Dub. Won the uh, Seattle Film Critics Circle that year. It's a so, good one. Yeah. I, I like Boys State more, personally. I had Boys State on there. I had David Burns' American Utopia, which I guess is a concert film, but that counts as a documentary. Um, Dick Johnson is Dead. Oh, I remember that one. The Last Dance. I guess you kind of call that a film. Um, if the OJ Made in America can get nominated for Best Documentary, The Last Dance can. Sure. It's on Letterboxd. But actually, the only other year I have documentary for, like going back really old, is the eight, is 84, because that was the year Stop Making Sense came out. And like, hmm. Stop Making Sense is not only my favorite documentary that year, it's my favorite movie, period, of 1984. It's just, it's just a film Talking Heads concert, and it's like the best concert you've ever seen. Um, this year, have you watched that Robert Altman documentary? That's like four hours long. <laughs> There's a couple of docu. There was that. Do you remember the documentary? I think it was 2020 or 2021, where it was uh, the Boston um, city town, and it was like eight hours of just like footage of like how politics is run in, in the city of Boston. I mean, it sounds kind of interesting to me, but I also I have a boner for Boston, so okay, dicks out for Boston. Okay, um, sorry. I got. I keep getting on. You keep dragging me off track. Well, I'm dragging myself off track, really. Just to finish the spreadsheet discussion, the last four categories are all made up by me. Uh, actually, one of them's made up by a different podcast. But best debut film. So like, new director. So like this year, I have Barbarian from Zach Kreger as the winner. He technically directed like a, um, what's it called? Like a skit sketch comedy movie with the whitest kids you know. It was it was a feature, but. Uh, he co-directed it, and it's like sketch comedy, so I don't really count it. I had Vengeance from B.J. Novak, which I know you weren't a huge fan of, but... Oh, yeah. After Sun, Charlotte Wells, Marcel the Shell, and then The Fallout, which came out really early in 2022, and it was okay. I haven't seen it. Um, next one is Best Needle Drop, which uh, far away winner is uh, New Body Rumba and White Noise. Love that scene. Um, then I have Best Stunt. Which this year my winner is Mavin Rooster Tailspin and Top Gun, um, and then the last one is the one that another podcast made up. If you listen to the Rewatchables, they have this thing called the Dion Waiters performance, where it's the actor in the movie who did the most of the least, named after the NBA player Dion Waiters, who used to come in for the Heat for like five minutes, chuck like six threes, and then get subbed out. And it was like sometimes he hit all six of them, and sometimes he hit none of them. Um, so I just put that in there for fun because it's fun to like recognize like he 
heat check performances. Like, I think of a classic example. Is Judd Hirsch this year? Is that a heat check? Judd Hirsch in the Fablemans, that is a prime example. He comes in for one scene, he's throwing 98 mile an hour fastballs the entire time, and then he leaves the rest of the movie. Sure. Um, I'm trying to think of a. My favorite example, probably one of my favorites all time, is Philip Seymour Hoffman and Punch Drunk Love. Um, Another PTA movie, Alfred Molina and Boogie Nights. He's the, the cokehead guy at the end. Um, so I, I feel like people get the idea. Um, but yeah, they can't be in the movie too much. So like, even like supporting actor is like borderline. Like last night, I watched Network for the first time. Ned Beatty and Network doing the like, you are messing with the ecological forces of nature. That's like perfect. Dion Waiters performance. Uh, that's an all-timer. Dion Waiters. Okay. That's my that's my Oscar spreadsheet. Fascinating or not? Uh yeah sure I'm sure the, the <laughs> listeners is, yeah. So uh, we really should just talk about the these damn Oscar now. Yeah. So speaking of Judd Hirsch and Paul Dano, one is in and one is out. Yeah. Well, do you want to start with um. Do you want to start with Best Picture and work our way down, or do you want to start with the text and work our way up? Yeah, so I don't really look at the text, so... You know, I'll read them to you. Okay. Uh, you can just uh, let me know if anything stands out to you. So we got, like, Best Visual Effects, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, Batman, Black Panther, Top Gun. Pretty pretty standard. I, I, oh, I, I, I know why the Marvel movies get in there, but I just... Whenever I'm looking at those, I, I'm hardly ever blown away. Yeah, I mean... There is a lot of visual effects. I don't think... Wakanda Forever did not deserve a, a best visual effects nomination. The ever. underwater stuff was good. The I always I still thought Wakanda looked like like mosh and, and mud and yeah, yeah and just not. Honestly, the Batman like the main visual effect in that is the fact that they use the surround screens, um, like the stuff they used to shoot the Mandalorian. Yeah, but I didn't even nominate it on my ballot. I had Ambulance and Nope in there instead of Batman. Speaking of Nope, oh my god. Yeah. Shut what up. I don't I don't get it. How can the light not? I love the lighthouse. How can the lighthouse get a nomination and nope, not get lighthouse? Obviously, like different year, but like it's a movie that small. Nope should have been in visual effects over Black Panther. If That's anything, the easiest shoe in, yeah. Um, film editing, which film editing historically very important to Best Picture. Um, so notably, no Fablemans, which is kind of a blow to it. Um, but we got Banshees, Elvis, Everything Everywhere, Tar, and Top Gun. Yeah, I don't know if I would have nominated Elvis. Probably would have nominated it for for a lot of things. Um, I really don't think the editing is that like it's no it's nowhere near. It's flashy. Bad. It's flashy, but like in a way that works for the movie. Whereas like when Bohemian Rhapsody won for editing, the editor was really literally like, I just threw it together because the movie was going to be unfinished if I didn't just rush it. So even I'm shocked that I won best editor. Um. Because that movie just, like, it has the quick cutting of Elvis, but, like, obviously Brian Singer is not Baz Luhrmann, which, by the way, Brian Singer, thank God, now canceled, because he's a bad filmmaker anyway. Um, <laughs> so, like, it was just ridiculous that that one. Like, Elvis is fast-cutting and chaotic and flashy and everything, but, like, I never felt, like, lost in that movie. Like, even when it's at its most maximalist, like, I always knew what was happening the narrative lost me but i I guess maybe the editing the editing wasn't trying to distract you from anything like it wasn't purposefully obscure it's not like when they do 13 cuts in a second of taken you know where they're just trying to like overload your senses because they know the movie is boring without (laughs) it you know um so i'm fine with that nomination costume design babylon let's go yeah babylon hive is that the only 
No, it's got a couple more tech noms. Honestly, when I saw it, it got like three or four uh, below the line nominations. Uh, three. I was kind of like, ooh, Babylon, best picture, maybe sneaking in at number 10, and then it didn't. But um, Babylon, costume design, Black Panther, costume design, that one's fair. Uh, Elvis, very deserved. Everything Everywhere, very deserved. Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Little surprise. I remember that showed at the Nick for like a year straight. (laughs) I never... I never saw it, but that was, like, the only film playing at the Nick from, like, June 1st to basically August 31st, yeah. I felt like. Um, so, shout out to Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. She's going to the Oscars. <laughs> um, best makeup and hairstyling. Oh, I guess makeup and hairstyling is the same category, so okay, I'm just dumb. They used to be different. Maybe they, they used to be different. But um, All Quiet on the Western Front, Batman, Black Panther, Elvis, The Whale. Pretty pretty standard cinematography this is the most whack category the most unfor- like the cho- the choices here i think are the like this might be the worst of read them off to me them. uh james friend uh or friend james friend all quiet on the western front sure sure <coughs> darius kanji bardo false chronicle of a handful of truths yeah bardo the spiritual successor of a critical and box office success hardcore henry <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I haven't watched. I haven't watched it either. I don't. Is the whole movie like that? Like like the trailer shot in extreme wide angle? Yes, I believe so. And like, I think probably it's technically very impressive based on the trailers and everything, and from the clips I've seen. Um, And Darius Kanji is a great cinematographer. Um, Just looking at his filmography, I mean, he did. He's done basically every James Gray movie. He did Armageddon Time. He did Uncut Gems, The Lost City of Z. Um, I know Uncut Gems is not James Gray. I'm just naming movies. Um, Midnight in Paris, not a movie I like, but looks pretty. He did. Uh, he's done like some Fincher stuff. He did Panic Room. Um, he did Seven. So he's like an all-time great, but he just like has not really gotten his due. He's the cinematographer on Bong Joon Ho's next movie, hmm. uh, Mickey Seventeen. Um, so I'm glad he got nominated for him, but for Bardo. When Bardo got no other nominations, kind of weird. That's weird. It didn't get international. Mandy Walker for Elvis, fine. Roger Deakins, Empire of Light. Again, haven't we, seen it. We have not seen. It looks pretty from the trailers, but got no other nominations and got critically panned, just like Bardo. So it's kind of weird that it just like snuck in here. Um, and then Florian Hoffmeister for Tar. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. No, nope. Not nominated. Okay, nope. Obviously deserves decision but had, to leave. Had no buzz. Um, but like the ones that actually had buzz to get in here and did not like, and actually had great cinematography. Top Gun Maverick was the favorite at yeah. Gold Derby. It was the odds-on favorite to win, not just to be nominated to win, and not even nominated. So weird. You know, it's um, I believe Claudio Miranda is a cinematographer. Um, no Janusz Kaminski for the Fablemans. No Greg Frazier for the Batman, and he won last year for Dune, and the Batman looks great. I mean, my long shot dream was for Lowell Crawley to get nominated for White Noise, because I think that's the, like, the best-looking movie of the year, um, but didn't happen. I didn't expect it to happen, but, you know, I was holding out hope. Um, so just a weird category. I would have expected Fablemans and Top Gun to be in there, or... Especially Top Gun. Yeah, especially Top Gun. Um, no Banshees... Not Avatar, uh, 
no Babylon. Babylon probably would be my number two choice behind White Noise for cinematography. Yeah. Looks incredible. That movie looks insanely good. Um, yeah, weird, 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 weird category. Uh, production design, All Quiet, Avatar, Babylon, Elvis, Fablemans. Let's go Babylon. Uh, best sound, All Quiet, Avatar, Batman, Elvis, Top Gun. So Batman, good sound. Yeah, Batman, three nominations. Honestly, a better showing than I would have thought. Um, so Dano should have got nominated for both, both <laughs> his roles. I don't know about Colin that. Farrell too. <laughs> Yeah, actually, no. Colin Farrell got nominated for his performance at 13 Lives. Didn't you hear? <laughs> the, the, the Ron Howard Amazon Prime film? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what he picked up the, the Best Actor nom for. Big, big lobbying there from, <laughs> from Bezos. Yeah, he got the he got the Andrea Riseborough treatment <laughs> uh, in the campaign. We'll get to that. Um, I'm going to skip song in the shorts, if that's cool with you. Yeah, I saw no, no Taylor Swift. <laughs> Rihanna's going to be there, though. Yeah. Um, I don't. What movies were Swift and Rihanna? What what music did they do? Well, I think people were saying Swift got uh, snubbed for the All Too Well music video. Oh, I didn't know they do that. Which that's what I was saying. I was like, technically, it was a she called it a short film, but it's a music video, and I don't think music videos. What about Rihanna for short film? Um, Rihanna got nominated. Uh, she was uh, Lift Me Up for Black Panther. I didn't even know she she did that, but yeah. good for her. Um, music by Thames, Rihanna, Ryan Coogler, and Ludwig Göransson. Yeah, uh, Ludwig Göransson scoring uh, Oppenheimer, and that trailer song was fucking sick. Go just listen to the score for the Oppenheimer trailer. It's incredible. Uh, best original score, speaking of. Uh, pretty good category. Uh, I don't have too many complaints here. All Quiet on the Western Front, um, Babylon. Yeah. Uh, Banshees of Inisherin. Yeah. Everything Everywhere All at Once. I don't even really remember the score from that movie. I know you haven't seen it. So <laughs> yeah, I don't really remember it got either. got the most Oscar nominations and you still haven't seen it. I don't know. Well, it's not streaming and, like, I, don't, I can't be bothered to, to pay for it. And I really can't be bothered to do the, the other routes. <laughs> so. Are you sure it's not streaming? It's on Showtime. You don't have Showtime. No. Um, I'll give you my login. Oh, okay. Uh, and then the Fableman's John Williams. I think the biggest snub here, and it's I wouldn't have thought it was as egregious if this movie hadn't gotten any other, any other nominations because I thought it was just off the Academy's radar entirely. But the fact that the Batman got three nominations and they couldn't give Giacchino, throw Giacchino a bone and score. I mean, you know how much I love that Yeah. Game. It's great. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. No. Dun, yeah. Dun, dun. I mean... It was no, in all the trailers. No song has stood out to me like that song all year. So it, it's great. Um, absolute snub. Uh, I'm skipping documentary because uh, I don't think. Oh, actually, Fire of Love and Navalny. Uh, we both know. Yeah, Navalny, Fire of Love. I actually, I, I did predict uh, the documentary. I'm pretty sure I got four out of five there. So for those who don't follow me uh, on Twitter, underscore Max underscore White underscore. Um, the night before the predictions, so we're recording this on Tuesday, the day the predictions came out. Um, I posted my spreadsheet so nobody could say that I cheated uh, because I did so well. And actually, I did pretty well. I got uh, 51 out of 60, uh, so that's an 85. And the problem is when we do our official predictions pool, I'm still going to whoop your ass. Okay. Um, anyways, yeah, documentary. Yeah, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which critics love. I, I still have no idea how to see 
Um, yeah, that goes for a lot of the shorts and stuff. Oh, animated feature. You've seen most of those, right? Uh, yes, I've seen three of the five, and I have plans to see the other two. Yeah, yeah, I want to see um, Puss in Boots at some point. I was going to say we should go see that together, but then I was like, you have Regal and I have AMC, and I'm not paying to see Puss in Boots. So I mean, you can do the little sneaky thing. The sneaky thing where I tell them I'm going to the concession stand, and then I just walk into the yeah. auditorium. That's a life pro. That's an unethical life pro tip. We support. Well, it only works if they don't check your ticket. If you're at a theater where they check it at the door instead of at the like, the back, yeah. The back. Because um, like if they check it right before you walk into the theater, you can't do it. But our local Regal, you just walk up to the door, and you can just be like, "Oh, I gotta get my ticket at concessions or whatever," and they're like, "Okay," and they just let you go. And then yeah. I just like go up there and I'm like. Can I get my complimentary cup of water? <laughs> yeah, we don't condone this, by the way, you know. But <clears throat> I only do it when I'm going to see something dog shit with you, like Black Adam. Yeah, wait, what did you... You snuck in to see something with me that I didn't think was dog shit recently. What was it? Okay. I can tell you what it was. What was it's that? It's kind of embarrassing. Just keep in mind, everybody already paid for this movie once. Babylon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Already, That's right. I already paid to see it once, so... You know, maybe you should pay me back by coming to see Puss in Boots at AMC. With me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. Okay. I'm uh, surprised you even thought about agreeing or not. Uh, I mean, well, yeah. Regal's closing like 40 theaters, so you might have to switch. Oh no, that's <laughs> not good. Um, I, I think South the South Carolina ones are safe. That's good. Um, it was people go to that. It was mostly city ones, hmm. which is kind of strange, but I feel like it's probably just because we love more options in the city. Yeah. Um. Rip movie theaters. Uh, best international feature. Well, actually, when you get to best picture, you'll see not rip movie theaters because there's a very promising trend in best picture. International feature, all quiet, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, got the second most nominations behind uh, everything everywhere. Argentina, 1985. No ha- idea what that film is. I it haven't seen it. I um, That did come on my radar when I was doing my predictions a couple weeks ago, so I'll have to check it out. Close. That's also my radar. I really don't remember what it is except the title. EO. Yeah, I remember that. Movie. That's that's been on my radar for a while since like the summer. I need to see that. And then People the, like it. The Quiet Girl, which I never even heard of until I saw this nomination. Yeah, it's um, yeah, damn shame. No decision to leave. No decision. To, it's, it's the weirdest omission. I don't ever. get it. Park Chan Wook is like not even, like people know who he is. Like yeah. old boy. And it was campaigned pretty hard. I don't know. I don't get it. Maybe, maybe Mubi. I don't know. <laughs> Mubi fumbled the bag. Yeah. Are we blaming Mubi? I don't know. Put it on <laughs> some other streaming service people use. Um, best documentary feature. All that breeds. Oh wait, we went through this. My bad. Best animated feature. Uh, Gilmer del Toro's Pinocchio. Um, yeah. So I, I just, justice for Robert Zemeckis's Pinocchio, uh, the worst film of the year. Uh, I think I have it below Morbius actually. Yeah, I have it below Morbius. That's how bad uh, Robert Zemeckis is. Speaking of bad is. movies, when we get the actress. At one point um, in Robert Zemeckis's, uh Pinocchio, fucking Geppetto, like, or not Geppetto, like, put, what's the what's the evil guy's name in um, Pinocchio? 
Like it's the it's the guy that like yeah Christopher Waltz plays or Mussolini. No, in the, oh, in the Zemeckis one. I don't know. Uh, like there's this character in Pinocchio. I think he's in like most adaptations of Pinocchio who like wants to take Pinocchio like on a road show basically. Yeah, that's who Waltz played in the okay and Del Toro's. Well, in the Zemeckis one, there's like an in joke about Chris Pine, and he's like he's like. You're made of wood. You should name yourself out of a tree. Like, what about, like, Chris Pine? And then he's like, you could even call yourself, like, an influencer. This is, gi- <laughs> this is giving, like, Space Jam vibes. <laughs> it's worse than Space Jam. It's so much worse than Space Jam. And, like, the entire movie just looks terrible. Um, don't watch Robert Zemeckis' Pinocchio. Watch Guillermo. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Pinocchio. It's really easy to watch. I Yeah. I, I shook up my uh, my rankings a week after we did them so I could get Pinocchio in my top ten. Because um, that movie that was really stuck with me. Did you like Marcel the Shell with shoes on? That's our next nominee. Yeah, I mean, I saw it. Uh, I thought it was cute. Yeah, I thought it was cute. Stephen was hyping it up, and then he was also like, "Eh." Yeah, it's, it was fine. It's cute. My mom saw that it was like the highest rated that's, film of the year on Letterboxd. That's bizarre. Everywhere, and she was like, "Absolute travesty." That movie was the definition of mid. Yeah. That's not a. That's not verbatim, but that's basically what she said. Um, translated yeah translated to uh, Gen Z terms uh, that's that's what I'm here for I'm here to take I'm such an old soul but I'm part of Gen Z so mm-hmm. I, I absorb what all the 40 and 50 year olds are saying and I translate it so that like, <laughs> people like you can understand oh that. yeah yeah because you're not quite as intellectual uh-uh. as someone like me you know I'm just fucking with you um, Puss in Boots The Last Wish like you said we still gotta see it um, The Sea Beast which I I had uh what did I have in for that I did not predict that one I had uh Wendell and Wild yeah yeah I was kind of surprised to see the Sea Beast over Wendell and Wild otherwise I probably would have gotten this one I'm pretty sure both right. of those were like Netflix movies yeah well yeah both of them were like kind of mid reviews at least Wendell pretty good reviews Wendell was definitely more mixed but I thought Wendell was gonna get the edge because it's like Henry Selleck yeah he's a very celebrated director um. But nope. And uh, it's it's Keegan Michael Key or is it it's, right? It's Key and Peele. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Ving Rhames is in it. <laughs> There's actually a lot of good character actors in Wendell and Wilde doing voice work. Um, the guy James Hong, who's in Everything Everywhere as the grandpa, he's also in the Chinese restaurant episode of Seinfeld. Uh, probably his most iconic performance, if we're being honest. He's low key great in Wendell and Wilde. Um, but like they did the voiceover. I was listening to the Blank Check episode about that because they just did a miniseries on Henry Selleck. And um, they were talking about how, like, the animation or, like, the voiceover for that shit was done, like, <laughs> like four or five years ago, like, when they shot the film, um, because stop motion takes so long to yeah. that scale and COVID happens, so, like, that movie has been in production for, like, eight years. But uh, when they did the voiceover, like, they just, they thought that, like, the whole selling pitch was going to be, like, oh, like, Key and Peele, the funny guys, or whatever, like, they had... Get Out had not even come out yet when yeah. they were doing the anime when they were doing the voice work for that. Um, yeah, so they they said Del Toro's Pinocchio took like twelve years as well. So so they really were not leaning into the what's it called um, the, the horror or the weirdness. Of yeah, feel even though that's kind of what Wendell and Wild ended up being anyway. Like they're definitely trying to lean more into the comedy, and it makes it feel a little uneven. Like Wait. if they had known what was coming, then. I feel like they could have imbued a little bit more of that into it. It would have been even better. So, wait, so you watched Pinocchio, Del Toro's Pinocchio, right? Yeah, I watched Yeah, Pinocchio. so do you know who played the monkey? Who played the monkey? Yeah. I mean, I know... Um, You're, you will never guess this in a million years. 
looking at the thing, it's um, yeah, it was Kate Blanchett, right? Yeah. So did you? Uh, I watched the the documentary after um, get, like on Netflix. She was like, watch this next, and it and it shows the documentary. And you know, stop motion. I think is so cool. We're all watched like a forty five minute like fluff piece about it. And Blanchett uh, was working on Nightmare Alley with Del Toro. And then she was like, what is your next movie? Like, just give me something. I'll play a pencil to collaborate with you. <laughs> and then, jokingly, he was like, you can play the monkey. And then she actually did it. And there's, like, a clip in the, like, making of documentary where she's like, do you think it should go more of a... Or more of a... Or something, like, for for the monkey. And she, like, really got into the role. So, I don't know. That is so funny. Which role do you think took more time to prep for the monkey and pinocchio or lydia tar she, she is lydia tar <laughs> she has some kind of dark i don't know i can see it uh the last animated feature uh, nominee is turning red yeah i didn't really like it i didn't really like it either <laughs> but i mean i watched it so i watched it um, that came out in like like february or something yeah. that, i feel like i would have liked it more if they released in a theater but it had real um I, I've long had this take that all Pixar movies are starting to look the same now. It feels like ever since, like, around Toy Story 4-ish, they all just kind of have the same visual look. They all just, like, they have that weird new animation style where everybody just looks like they have, like, they have the big eyes and, like, the no lips. They're, like, plastic or something. Really like the Michelin Man. Yeah, some, I, I don't remember what podcast it was, but they said all animated characters now are starting to look, starting to look like toothpaste bottles. <laughs> and, um, Turning Red, uh, not immune from that unfortunately um it was cute but i just i don't know if i was like a 12 year old girl i'd probably like it in the post lassiter era uh i definitely think soul has been their best effort i don't actually when did lassiter get fired i guess he technically got fired before toy story 4 but i feel like that was in production yeah before he left so probably soul is the first like true original work they've made since he left that is like actually really good um luca was okay I didn't see Onward. Um, yeah. Tur- uh, but Did you see Encanto? Is that Pixar? Uh, Encanto? Uh, yeah. That is not Pixar. Okay. That's Disney animation, um, which Pixar is owned by Disney, but yeah, a little different. Um, we had the whole Encanto debate last year. Do you remember? Not on the podcast, but just as a friend group, and I said it was like bad, and everybody I mean, at me. I thought it was fine. Okay, what, what are the next noms? What do we got? <laughs> You just want to move on from this discussion. Yeah, I don't. I can't really put that uh, much let, bandwidth let me, toward Nakanto. Let me just put a bow on that conversation really quick and say that Pixar is coming back to theaters this year with Elemental, which is like looks like a Pixar rom com. Okay. So I'm very excited for that. I'm not sure who the director is on that, but I'll have to look because that trailer kind of got me excited. It looked it looked pretty fun, and it's not dealing with humanoid characters at all. It's all like weird stuff. So you right. really have to worry about the sameness look of the characters. Yeah. Uh, best adapted screenplay, probably the weirdest category, honestly. Uh, actually, no, I take that back. Cinematography is still weirder, more strange, weirder. I don't know why I can't say that word. Um, all quiet. Yeah, I mean, I don't really get the all quiet. We'll get into best. We'll talk about you this in best picture. I, I liked it, but I just don't. Does the Academy just like they have to nominate an international movie every year? It's more like they have to nominate a war film. Every this was the only one <laughs> okay. that came out. Um, you know, the older Academy voters are going to go for that sort of thing. Um, and I mean, all the tech nominations make total sense. I mean, it's pretty breathtaking. 
Uh, I just didn't connect with it that well. But also, I'm not German, and I've never fought in a war, so... Yeah, I mean, I liked it. Uh, I think the critical consensus was that it was pretty redundant, since there's, like, a bunch of other all-quiet adaptations. But, I mean, it was good. It executed it well. Glass Onion. Yeah, I liked it. I know. Your favorite movie of all time. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, no, that that belongs to Small Axe Mangrove. Sorry. That's a it's a good movie. <laughs> uh, for context, Max has only given like eight movies in the history of his like eight hundred movies watched a five star rating, and one of them is like a, one part of an anthology series called Small Axe Mangrove. It's a I mean it's a movie. Um, it's not. I, <laughs> I have not seen it, but just for some reason I find it hard to believe it's one of the eight best movies you've ever watched. Uh, dude, it's like a perfect. Like legal drama. I mean, if you look at Letterboxd right now, some of the critics you like: Sean Fantasy, four and a half stars. I mean, Adam Neiman, four and a half stars. David Elbrick, four stars. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. I just find it hard to believe that you're like this is one of the eight totemic masterpieces of all time that I've seen. I think it's it's really great. <laughs> uh, what are some other great ad- adapted screenplay? Okay. <clears throat> yes. Uh, Living, which we have not seen. Yes, yeah, I don't think that's out either. Um. But the other Bill maybe, Nye maybe is, is really... Something. Um, and then, okay, this is the strangest one. Top Gun Maverick, an adapted screenplay. I mean... Which, I love the movie. It's in my top ten of the year, as we went over last week. But a screenplay? Screenplay? I predicted that, so there was definitely buzzer on I, that. I just, but, like, how are you going to put it in screenplay and leave it out of cinematography? I, like, let's be real here, folks. Who walked away from that movie and went, man... Just the writing. The U.S. They, government. They, they got it right. The Department of <laughs> Defense. Yeah, the Department of Defense probably loved it. Although, if the Department of Defense had a rewrite on it, they probably would have, like, not made the enemies so faceless. <laughs> uh, they probably would have made it very distinct who sure. it was. Um, and then the last one is Women Talking, which uh, still is, has, like, not released anywhere, basically. Yeah, I. Us. it's supposed to come out in, like, last week, and then it wide anyways, and it, it's not in Columbia. Yeah. Well, it, they do that. They're doing that weird thing where they were trying to do the platform release. It was supposed to come out in uh, like early December, and then they pushed it back to like early January. Then they pushed it back again to mid January, and they said it was going to be a wide release. And then it just kind of came out in like five hundred theaters and was not a wide release at all. So I don't know what the hell they're doing with that. Um, yeah. Wait, what? Wait, run them down because I got four out of five. I predicted the whale. Which one did it, was not living? Uh, no, I predicted, li- I predicted Living, The Whale, Glass Onion, Women Talking, and All Quiet. Oh, and Adapted. I guess I didn't get Top Gun. Okay, so you, you did not get Top Gun. Okay, yeah. Original, I got five out of five, though. Banshees, Everything Everywhere, The Fableman's Tar, Triangle of Sadness. Yeah. I'm shocked. I, honestly, props to you for getting Triangle of Sadness right, because I would not have predicted that. Um, I don't think anybody got got him in, in director, but... Oh, yeah, that was that's really weird. Um... I'd say this is probably the most stacked category. I mean, you know, right? Maybe supporting actor. Sure. I mean, yeah. Uh, original script. Yeah. I mean, who? I mean, Banshees is, is like gonna win that. And I think it deserves to. Uh, unless it wins Best Picture, I don't think. I think Banshees. That'll be the makeup award to Banshees. Uh, I think Banshees is gonna win Best Picture, but we'll get there. Okay. Um, supporting actress. Angela Bassett, Black Panther, uh, Hong Chao, The Whale, Carrie Condon, The Banshees of Inisherin, 
uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Everything Everywhere, and Stephanie Shu, uh, Everything Everywhere. Yeah, five out of five for me there too. Um, yeah, that was a pretty predictable category. It feels like uh, kind of weird that. I mean, I love Angela Bassett. She's great, absolute all star. She kills it and everything. Um, the greatest line reading of the 2010s in any movie is in Mission Impossible Follow when she goes, "That's the job." Um, but she's in like two scenes. She's gonna win it. She's gonna win it, and that movie was like, as we talked, was kind of mid. I mean, she was probably the best part of she that. She was the best part of it, but like, it's still a Marvel movie, and really, she was like asked to like yell in like two scenes. All my uh, all my Marvel friends are sending me the the things where it's like Angela Bassett, first actor from a Marvel movie nominated to an Academy Award. Yeah, it only took you like fifteen fucking years. So yeah. Congratulations. Um. You know, he should have been nominated for an Academy Award for the Thanos in a Marvel movie. No, not not Thanos. Iron Man three, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> that man played a like an ang- an anxious PTSD riddled man so well in that movie, and it that was supposed to be his last Marvel movie, and then the next movie he was going to be in was going to be Inherent Vice, and then he was like, oh, resigned the contract, fifty million dollars, thank you MCU, and like oh, I can't blame him, can't blame him. I would I'd take that money too, but uh, we're gonna be in Inherent Vice. I mean, if if he if the uh, Iron Man three came out, you know, this year maybe maybe he would have been nominated. Yeah, I know, cause best actor is weak. Um, best supporting actor: Brendan Gleeson, The Banshees of Inisherin, goaded. Uh, Brian Terry, Henry Cosway. Yeah, I I don't think I th- I remember looking at Gold Derby the day before, uh, yesterday, and he was on like maybe three or four, I think, but he was not. I, I didn't know who he was. That's why I remember him being on there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love Brian Tyree Henry. I think he's great in a lot of stuff. He's good in Atlanta, um, which I've seen a little bit of. Um, he was pretty good in Bullet Train also this year. Um, and then... Wait, who's seen Atlanta? Is he Paperboy? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay, I know who he is then. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm surprised you didn't know who he was. Yeah, yeah I like him. Um... Yeah, Academy Award or Academy Award nom- nominated, I guess. Have you seen Causeway? Is that the one with um Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence? Lawrence? Yeah, I have not seen that's it. on streaming though, right? It's on Apple TV Plus. Yeah, um, I'll I'll probably see it before the Oscars. Um, Judd Hirsch, The Fablemans. I would nominate him in my Dion Waiters category. I would not nominate him in supporting actor. You know who else would be on my Dion Waiters this year? Angela Bassett in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. But do I have her on my supporting actress ballot? No, because you know who I do have on there instead? Lashana Lynch in The Woman King. Incredible Well, How was The Woman King shut out? Yeah, it really deserves some. I don't get it. it. It seems like the perfect, like, Academy, let's, like, let's let's nominate this, like, crowd pleaser that's also, like... A historical epic. Yeah. Like a... Auteur director. Yeah. Like Viola very, Davis, like, willed that cast. movie. Yeah. yeah. Baffling. I don't get Baffling. it. Um, yeah, I would have had Lashana Lynch in my Best Supporting Actress uh, over Angela Bassett, and then I would have Angela Bassett in my Dion Waiters category. Um, so Academy War- Academy should should uh, adopt that one. They should. They should adopt the Dion Waiters Award. Shout Dion can uh, present it every year. <laughs> Well, shouldn't Bill Simmons present this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe um, both of them. Best supporting actor. Uh, let's keep going. So yeah, Judd Hirsch. Uh, Paul Dana was the better performance from that movie. I think we all agree. Yeah. Um, Barry Keegan, Banshees, deserved. Uh, and then K 
Ki Hoi Kwan, uh, everything everywhere all at once. Uh, yeah. Also deserved. He uh he's the odds on favorite to to win it. I haven't His seen Golden Globe speech was incredible. Yeah, I haven't seen everything everywhere, but I don't know. Brendan Gleeson's probably my favorite uh performance out of that that five. Uh, I would agree with that. Um, best actress. This one's kind of weird. Too. Yeah, this is what I. I only got three out of five. That was my probably my worst category. Kate um, Tar. Yeah, she's gonna win. Michelle Yeoh, Everything Everywhere. Yeah, those are the top two. Michelle Williams, The Fablemans, who should be in supporting. If we're yeah, I, I I predicted her, but I kind of was just like willing that that prediction because I really didn't believe that she was gonna get. She would she would have cakewalked to win to a win this supporting year. supporting actresses. Yeah, weak. um, which, uh. Yeah, hold on. I have a point about that in a minute. But um, Andrea Riseborough to Leslie, which is the weird, like, grassroots campaign where, like, a bunch of celebrities were all tweeted on the exact same day. Yeah. Like, the same quote of, like, to Leslie is, like, a small film with a big heart with great performances, especially the one by Andrea Riseborough. It was, like, literally a copy pasta that a bunch mm-hmm. of celebrities were posting uh, right during the, like, voting period. And it apparently worked. It worked because yeah. she's nominated and literally nobody has seen that film except for probably andrea riseborough uh the director and mark Marin, who also started it so um congratulations to the three of them um they they really uh, got a lot of people to vote for something they had never seen before uh yeah and then uh anna de Armas, blonde i <laughs> we just uh, we thought about doing a blonde episode we talked about doing it like a drunk blonde episode or something last semester and then we were like we can't do that we i yeah i don't i don't get it I don't... I mean, I guess she's a good performance. Actors fucking love that movie. Okay. Like, did you hear Colin Farrell's interview about it? Mm-mm. He was over the moon. He's like, I've watched it like four times. It's like, <laughs> an incredible film. I like, can't imagine like, someone watching that movie four times. Actors, like, from what I've seen, the interviews, the actors, roundtables, and everything, they were all talking about Blonde. Like, it was definitely... Was she part of the roundtable? Uh, I think I she might have been. I don't remember. But, um... Yeah, I, I just I'm I'm a little surprised. Six months ago, I wouldn't have been surprised. But I'm also not surprised because it's such an actor's movie. It's a big performance, <clears throat> like it's a transformation. Yeah. It's like doing a bunch of like really hard like stuff, and like it's an accent, and like it's a like a tough take on a famous story, you know. So like I see you why all the ingredients are there for like act why actors would love that movie and that performance. Like I don't. And to be honest, I don't think her performance is bad. I think her performance is good. Yeah. The movie around it has a lot of flaws. But, like, we both didn't think it was, like, as bad as some people were saying. But we were also, like, it's not particularly good. I feel like we were both just kind of in the middle on it. Yeah. Does that sound accurate? I, yeah, the movie is is problematic for a lot of reasons. I I mean, I don't really care about that. I just don't think it was that dramatically engaging as I wanted it to be. Yeah, she was was pretty good. Or she was good in it. In in a vacuum, I feel like you can nominate her, and I guess that's what they did. So, what else we got? Best last three categories: best actor, um, Bill Nighy for Living. The other Bill Nye. Yeah, the other. Bill Not Nye. the scientist. Not the scientist. Although that would be funny. Um, you probably get up there. <laughs> he won. If the real Bill Nye won a best actor award, he would probably give the most embarrassing speech of all time. <laughs> um, just because that dude cannot open his mouth without sounding like an idiot. Um, now it is. Um, Paul Mescal for After Sun. Let's fucking go, dude. I predicted this, uh, and I was... Same, same, same with Michelle Williams. I was kind of just, like, wish upon a star kind of thing, and 
He's in there. He's in there. 26 years young. Brendan Fraser, The Whale? Yeah. I mean... I haven't seen it. Me neither. The trailers made it look terrible and it got bad reviews, so I'm not excited about checking it out, but I feel Talk like... Talk about the transformation, kind of. Yeah, it, it's the same. It's an act. It's a very actory movie. Um, I'm. Everybody says his performance is good, though, so I have no reason to doubt that. I just... The movie itself does not interest me that much, but... Or for for supporting actress, you didn't mention um, Hong Chao. Yes, I did. For the whale. Oh, well... I, we, didn't, we didn't talk about yeah, her. Yeah. Um, I didn't even realize she's in uh, the menu. Yeah. She's the, like, the server. Yeah. She, she probably should have been nominated for the menu instead <laughs> of the whale. Um, Colin Farrell, the Banshees of Inisherin. Yeah. Uh, my, who I'm rooting for. I think he team. has to win it. I don't know who else. Um, Brendan Fraser. I. Yeah. You feel like the tide's going to turn on that one? I feel like it should. I don't know. I feel like it, it's going to come down to. Farrell, Butler, Frazier, whoever campaigns the best. Like, it feels like a real, like, based on merits, the Academy could go either of those three ways. So that's the last one, Austin Butler for Elvis. Um, and it's just going to be who has the best campaign. Like, who can win the most hearts. Um, and we'll see. I feel like Butler is probably best. Actually, I don't know, Fraser maybe. Fraser's been see, going really all, hard on they're it. They're all extremely, like, charismatic, likable dudes in Hollywood for different reasons. Like... Colin Farrell obviously does, like, a lot of artsy projects and everything, and he's always been a very eloquent speaker, so, like, he has that going for him. Brendan Fraser has the whole comeback story, although his comeback story might actually piss off some people if they like the Golden Globes, but I don't know what the Academy's relationship is to the Golden Globes, so, like, really hard to tell. And then Austin Butler is, like, newcomer. He would be the youngest Best Actor winner ever. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't know that. And, because, yeah, the previous youngest was, like, Adrian Brody. He was, like, 28 in the piano. How old is Butler? The pianist. Sorry, not the piano. Um, Austin Butler. Like, 25 or something? Oh, never mind. He would not be. He's 31. Oh, wow. I didn't He's even know He's way older that. than I thought. Um, so, I apologize for that mistake. Um, yeah, I'm rooting for Farrell. I mean, I think... Yeah, me too. ...the best performance of the year. He would be my winner. Um, I don't have... The only other one from that five that I have in my personal best actor lineup is Austin Butler Elvis, and I think it's a really weak best actor year. And this is kind of the second year in a row where I think best actor is weak. Actually, this is the third year in a row I think best actor is weak, and I'm going to unleash my theory on you in a minute. Okay. But um, some people that I would have nominated over all of them. Gabriel LaBelle and the Fablemans, probably one of the best kid performances I've ever seen in my life. That kid is absolutely captivating. The movie does not work at all if he's not good, and he's incredible. Um, apologies for the pronunciation. Park Hae-il, uh, decision to leave, but there was no chance that was going to happen. Yeah, I, I, yeah. And then my guy, Adam Driver, White Noise, love that movie, love that performance. Uh, there was no chance in hell. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay, here's my theory. Okay. I look back at, and I, I realize that representation in Hollywood has a long way to go, but looking at my Oscar spreadsheet, the last, like, several years, the strongest categories where I had the most options to choose from, where I'm truly, like, racking my brain, being like, who do I nominate and who do I cut, are Best Actress and Best Supporting Actor. And the two categories where I'm like, I got nothing to choose from. I'm scraping to, like, get the fifth one. Our Best Supporting Actress and Best Actor. Is that because more women are getting lead roles and they're relegating men to supporting roles more? 
So I feel like that can't. Is Hollywood making progress? Oh, I'm not in, enough of an insider to tell. But based on the fact that I've watched like 70 movies a year for the past like four years, like new releases, and consistently my best actress ballots are so much stronger than my best actor ballots last couple of years, and it's the reverse for supporting. That tells me that there's a lot, like there's a lot of way better roles being written for women. Um, so good. Maybe progress. Maybe progress. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, do you see Michelle Yeoh is like? Either the second or the first Asian Asian American or just Asian to ever be nominated and yeah, that's I don't know how that is. It's wild, man. Yeah, I mean, part of it is like, you know, um, just films with a lot of Asian characters did not do well in the states for a long time, and international films were hard to see before the internet because yeah, they didn't get distribution. So that was kind of it, you know. That that answers it. There's a lot of you know systemic racism to go along with that but i mean it's not it's not a mystery you know there's definitely yeah a reason behind it but it's at least better late than never i guess um best director um daniel kwan and daniel shiner everything everywhere all at once todd field tar let's go martin mcdonough the banshee's been sharon yeah ruben ostland triangle of sadness uh <laughs> I told you like a couple days ago we were talking about this I was like there's going to be one really weird fucking um, what's it called uh, international nominee because that happened with Thomas Vinterberg in another, with another round a couple of years ago it's been happening more and more often at the Academy where they just slot one international director into best director for some reason um, you think it'd be the every or the all quiet director though not right that's what it was kind of weird. I was like, it's going to be the all quiet director or maybe triangle of sadness, like long shot. But I thought it was going to be the all quiet guy, Edward Berger, um, Berger. I don't know how to say it. Um, <laughs> even though I took like three years of German. Um, and then Steven Spielberg, the Fablemans. You think, I think is the favorite to win. Yeah. Hopefully um, they've been doing picture and director split a lot more recently. They did it last year. They did it, um, in 2018. Um, so I definitely think this could be a year where they split it, because um, the way the voting works is kind of weird. So um, I think last yeah yeah yeah. Uh, and then best picture, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar: The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, Women Talking. So I've only seen seven of those movies. Women Talking uh, is obvious because nobody's seen it. Um, so you haven't seen that, Everything Everywhere, or Triangle. Triangle, yeah. I haven't seen Triangle or Women Talking. If Triangle were streaming, I would probably watch it like in the next week. I don't think it is, though. Unless it's on HBO Max. And I just am blanking. Yeah. But there are some movies that came out a couple months ago that still aren't, aren't streaming. Like uh, Bones and All, like, just, just, or that's on like... F- or like sh- some premium subscription that yeah, I don't Triangle have. Sadness is uh, just rentable. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know who rents movies. I think it's not college kids, but <laughs> if that was yeah, on it's, streaming. It's, it's older people. They make a lot of, like, these Oscar mo- Oscar movies make a ton of money on paid VOD with older people. I know, but at the same time, I feel like Banshees has gotten so big because it went to HGO Max. Only I mean, like, I'm not saying it's a one-to-one comparison. Obviously, being readily available on a streaming service that most people already pay for does get it wide yeah. appeal. But 
I mean, I'm sure that helped with uh, All Quiet. If they're trying to balance the appeal and the money, they'd probably go for the paid VOD. Um, and most of the people voting get the screeners anyway, so it doesn't really I mean, really that's matter. true. Um, or they get invited to a screening. They either get sent a disc or they get invited to something. Or, I guess now, it's probably just like a fucking MP4 file. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, that's the Oscar nominees. Yeah, I don't... So we saw All Quiet probably like last December or November being like, hey, this mo- this new movie is out on Netflix. It looks like I don't have anything better to do. Let's just watch it. And then a couple months later, it's nominated for what, second most? Yeah, I believe it has nine total nominations. I don't... Yeah. I, that nominations. just makes no sense to me other than, like you said, people just think war movies are are just... You have to have one war movie in there. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... It's kind of an academy tradition, right? Um, you know, there wasn't really one last year, uh, unless you consider, you know, uh, Belfast. But they they just get. I feel like it's kind of an old like. It's a type of movie that they just don't make a lot anymore. That is also like by an internationally renowned director and like cast and everything. Um, and it's a remake of something that was like one of the biggest Oscar movies of all time, really early on, and it's in the history of the academy um so it's kind of weird but on all the levels it makes sense you know um yeah so it, it doesn't shock me and honestly also netflix white noise could bombed with people bardo got tr- absolutely is that trashed. wait is that a netflix movie white noise no bardo bardo's netflix movie. i didn't even know that um <laughs> i just so have not paid attention I guess they and like Wendell Wild kind of just came and went. Yeah, uh, that I got guess, no no publicity. I guess Sea Beast got a little bit of publicity. I I really didn't there, know what that but, was um, until yesterday. So I guess they kind of just put all their chips in on All Quiet for the campaigning, and it worked. Yeah, um, but it kind of feels like it's it's like all the other Netflix movies the last couple of years, like Roma and The Irishman and um, what was it in twenty 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 Mank. Um, these movies that get, you know, nine, ten nominations and just don't win anything. And obviously, Belfast was like, or Belfast was on Netflix. What was the Netflix movie last year? Did they even have one? Oh, Power of the Dog was Netflix. Well, that's another example. I mean, that one yeah. was director, but still, 12 nominations didn't win picture. Um, Unfortunately. So every Netflix movie just kind of like racks up noms and then doesn't win anything. Um, that's been their. <laughs> their mo and everything else in best picture was not a streaming movie was uh in theaters exclusively upon release so there was there was that uh chatter for a little bit of um knives out glass onion yeah i never really thought that had a chance of picture if i'm being honest um but i think i'm trying to think what would be just like right on the outside looking in um, I think probably the whale was up there. Yeah, let me. Yeah, let me look at my. I think I got nine out of ten. Yeah, I got nine out of ten. Whale was my only miss. I think like with the production noms, maybe Babylon. Yeah, that's probably up in. there. Uh, After Sun kind of got a late push. Obviously, Paul Mescal getting nominated. Yeah. Um. So, I think there are a couple of movies ahead of Glass Onion. Um. Probably like, I would say like Glass Onion and the woman king we're probably like in that next tier below but um i think it, i don't i don't I, I don't think they do this i think it'd be so interesting you know like nba like all pro teams 
how they how release they, like all the voting yeah. ballots. Yeah, I wish the Oscars did that. I mean, I could spend an entire day looking through that. Yeah. Shit. Um. But I understand why they don't. <laughs> the voters probably don't want like they're all people that work in the industry, so they probably don't want other people getting pissed off. Uh, whereas like NBA All Pro ballots is like reporters. Yeah, you know, it's not their peers. Even if they just did like uh, honorable mentions, like the the five who just missed the cut or something. That that's what nominations are for. I, I that's mean, why it's nominations. No, we sure. don't need we don't need honorable mentions. I well no, I'm not I'm not I'm just saying the the movies that got the most votes that weren't on the that weren't nominated. Man, so many so much stuff came out this year. I feel like. I mean, every year this happens where, like, there's a lot of movies that come out that are like, oh, that's going to be such a huge Oscar player and then do absolutely nothing. I think the the absolute kings of that this year were She Said and Armageddon Time. She Said was, if She Said was good, I think it would have, it would have done, done gangbusters at the, at but the Academy Awards. It was extremely mid. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it wasn't, I, I don't think it wasn't good. I think it was just good-ish. I don't know. I think the fact it didn't even get adapted screenplay, where it was like a slot in for that for for so long. Yeah, it didn't. Even, well, it didn't even really do well with film critics. Even critics were kind of like, "This feels kind of half baked." Yeah. Um, I gave it a three and a half. Honestly, I might lower that to a three because I I kind of just saw it and it came and went. Um, it's like, yeah. It's an interesting story, but like it does feel like one of those movies where it's like. It's it wasn't spotlight. I wanted spotlight. it to be spotlight and. It, okay. it had the perfect setup to be like Academy, the Hollywood, we're, we're patting each other on the back, we're, we're over this whole Weinstein Me Too thing, we're better now. And well, maybe it's good that we didn't do that. Sure, though. that's true. Um, but... Because the movie was bad. Or the, the movie was... Not bad. great, yeah. Um, but like, it, I hate to say this because so many of my favorite movies are like this, but it feels like a real, like, just read the Wikipedia article movie. Um, yeah, or the some, book. Or read yeah read the article like read the new york the new york times article like one of my favorite all-time movies is michael mann's the insider which is like just watch the 60 minutes segment on it and you know the story but like that movie is so stylized the it feels so dramatic like every interaction is just like on point the writing's incredible the obviously michael mann's one of my favorite directors so anything he does like feels touched by the gods to me but like that was a real like i'm gonna take just some fucking news article that's important but like just mildly interesting and i'm really gonna turn it into like an, an epic like operatic experience and she said just doesn't really do that it's kind of like journalism 101 so maybe people yeah that, maybe people that are not like us and didn't do daily gangcock for two years would not uh would find it more interesting i don't but. even think i don't know it was just like all the suspense and and, and thrill and and spotlight really wasn't Maybe it's just because Spotlight was a story from, uh, I guess, when the movie came out, like, 15 years ago at that point, and she said is so, like, prescient, like, in the Me Too, is still so, so in effect that people know Weinstein, like, they got him. Spotlight, like, you weren't really sure who the exact names of the the Cardinals and, and whatnot were, and, like, you don't, you weren't really sure if they actually were going to nail it. And she said it's just, like, I don't know... And I, I think it's so funny how they had the actual actresses, like, play themselves in that movie. Yeah. I mean, um, an- another movie that's kind of like this, um, Todd Haynes' Dark Waters came out a couple years ago. Like, that's, I guess he's, Mark Ruffalo's a lawyer in that movie. But, like, 
that's another movie where it's like on paper it sounds boring as hell it's like it's gotta expose like a teflon like water waters is is so much better compared to as she said. Well, you give them both the same star rating. I know, but I mean, looking <laughs> um, at looking at, I don't know, like Dark Waters is something where it's like people people don't know about this. Saying like Todd Haynes is like an absolute master filmmaker, you know, and like you put a pretty basic story like that in his hands, and he's gonna just like absolutely crank it up to eleven and make it so interesting and, and exciting. Um, even though it is like a pretty s- slow movie at times, um, but like. Yeah, just think about this, this, how stylish like all the President's Men is, um, Insider, Dark Waters. Um, there, there's a million. Like even a lot of people don't like this movie, but I do. The Post um, is another one. Um, but like, I guess you're gonna always fail comparing anybody to Spielberg. But like, come on. Um, she said could have been better. I was excited for that. Kind of let down. Um, okay. Any other thoughts on the Oscars? Uh, Heat check, Tuesday, January twenty fourth. When we're recording this, nine forty nine p.m. What's winning Best Picture, Max? Go. Uh, everything everywhere is the easy answer, so I'm not gonna say that. Um, my worst case is Elvis, which I really don't want to win either. Let me see. Um, I think uh, the lack of Baz Luhrmann and Best Director kind of. I think I think Fableman's might might creep in there. That's my that's my dark horse. So that's. If you had to pick today, you're saying Fablemans. Uh, because I'm not being boring, I'm not going to predict Fablemans if I was, like, putting money on it. But to be interesting, Fablemans. Okay. I'm going to say Banshee's been a Sharon. Okay. Um, definitely feels like Everything Everywhere is the favorite right now, but if we look at some recent Oscar history, again, at the films that get the most nominations, which in the past have been kind of Netflix films, but again, The Irishman. Uh, actually, in 2019, that year, Joker had the most nominations <laughs> and only won, like, two. I think it won score and actor, and I think that was it, but really had no chance of picture. Uh, last year, Power of the Dog, 12 noms, didn't win Best Picture. Um, the year before that, uh, well, 2020 was weird, but, like, Mank got, like, 10 or 11 nominations, didn't win. La La Land didn't win and got the most nominations. Um, Roma and The Favorite got a ton of, ton of nominations that didn't win. Um, even like 2015 like Mad Max Fury Road had the most nominations that year didn't win like Spotlight won that year which barely had any so like these frontrunners that rack up a lot of nominations the last like 10 years or so I don't know if it's the 10 movie best picture format or whatever but they really don't clean up that often I think the the recent one that did was uh, Shape of Water which had a staggering 13 nominations which is crazy um really only being out by uh, La La Land recently. Oh, my mistake. Mad Max Fury Road did not have the most nominations. It was The Revenant, but uh, Fury Road had 10. Right, and Aratu. Yeah, and The Revenant won Best Director, but again, not picture. Um, the year before that, the most nominations was Grand Budapest Hotel, Lost to Birdman. Uh, before that, American Hustle and Gravity <laughs> and 12 Years a Slave won. Uh, the year before that, most noms, Lincoln, like Pi won. That was a really weak year. Or sorry, no, Argo won. That was a really like really Pi weak year. Director. Uh, then the year before that, most nominations, Hugo, the artist wins. I didn't even know that. Last, uh, the last only twice in the last twelve years has the film with the most nominations. Wait, Hugo is the animated Scorsese movie, right? Yeah. What the fuck? Only twice in the last since two thousand ten have 
as a film had the most nominations and won Best Picture, and it was The King's Speech and Shape of Water. Arguably, many people would say two of the weakest Best Picture winners. Of Especially King's Speech. Shape of Water I haven't seen. I like Del Toro, so I'll... I haven't seen either film. Yeah, I haven't seen e- any of them, but I like Del Toro. So. All I know is I am boycotting watching The King's Speech simply because it beat The Social Network, and I just can't... <laughs> fathom any world where I watch the King's Speech and I go, yeah, they got it right. <laughs> and my dad maintains to this day that... Maybe when right. you're maybe when you're geriatric. Yeah, when I when I lose all, all speech from all the years of podcasting, yeah. I'm going to really lose my voice over the years and then I'm going to I'm gonna really relate. Really going to relate to uh, what, what, what king was that? King, king George the, the Sixth. Um, me and him were boys. <laughs> um... King George the Sixth, the original podcaster. <laughs> I think I think that goes to FDR, the fireside chats. Yeah, honestly, you're right. FDR, OG Potter. We gotta. Maybe we should do like a salute to FDR at the beginning of every episode. <coughs> Thank you for birthing this movie. <laughs> um, who invented radio? I don't know, John Radio. Yeah, but I guess radio in itself is not podcasting. FDR, fireside chats is definitely much more of a podcasting thing. Yeah, monologue. So they're rebooting Frasier, and like the whole. I, I haven't made you watch Frasier yet. No. I, I've made like all my other friends watch Frasier. You're next on the list. Okay. But like the whole thing is in that show is he's like a radio psychiatrist, and um, Kelsey Grammer famously in the last like 20 years of public life, basically since Frasier went off the air, he's become a very outspoken, hardcore like conservative on Twitter and everything. Do you think the Frasier reboot is going to be him having like some, like? conservative life help podcast thing are you excited for that i'm not (laughs) because none of the original cast is coming back yeah to be fair to give them the benefit of the doubt he was a character on cheers for 10 years before he got his own spinoff show nine years actually well he was in the last episode of season two so we'll say 10 and then they made fraser and they brought back none of the recurring characters from Cheers. They only made guest appearances every once in a while. The most recurring character from Cheers that appears in Frasier is his ex-wife who shows up, like, once a season. So... They could do it. They've done it before. They did it before. And I love some of the new characters that were on Frasier even more than I love some of the characters that were originally with him in Cheers. So, it's not like they haven't pulled this trick once, but it's they carried over a lot of the same writers and directors from Cheers to Frasier, and they're obviously not doing that now. A, because a lot of them are tired or dead. <laughs> um, B, because, like, Kelsey Grammer's just kind of out there now. He's in, like, some movie coming out that I saw an ad for before Plane, um, where he, like, plays, like, some preacher in the 60s who, like, creates a church for hippies, and he starts, like, teaching the gospel through hippie culture. Um, not in like a way where he's like, I'm gonna try to convert these hippies. It's more like this dude like comes up to him and is like, Yo man, it'd be better if we spread God's love to like just peace and love, man, peace and love. He's doing the whole Ringo thing, you know? And he's like, Hmm, maybe I can connect to these hippies with the word of God. Because they love peace. And God loves peace. And yeah, that's the movie. Cool. A lot of uh, preacher movies recently. Father Stu. Yeah. What was that one? Yeah. Honk if you love Jesus? I think that was a satire. Okay. So that's still I still count that as a preacher movie. But uh yeah, Father Stew. Really got we really gotta catch up on Father Stew. 
We keep saying we're gonna watch it. Yeah. Drunk Father Stew Pod. <laughs> we gotta get Mark Wahlberg on there. You think he'd do it with us? Yeah. Marky Mark. We we're like a we're like a Christian a Christian podcast, and we really really appreciate you. We're in the we're in the deep south. Yeah. You know? Share your perspective. We could just play all the clips um, from the squawk where we make jokes about the radical left attacking us, <laughs> um, but we just won't tell Mark Wahlberg that it's ironic. And I maybe he'll, maybe he'll come on. I have I have a I have a friend who is a Catholic, a really diehard Catholic, and he said he didn't really like Father Stu. Interesting. He said I think he like becomes a father, like a priest in that movie. He said it makes it makes it have to be way too easy. Also, when I was a Catholic, I didn't even like Passion of the Christ. So <laughs> I mean, I always thought that movie was mid. Now they're making Passion of the Christ too. What? See that? Yeah, and it's about like the three days in between him dying on the cross. Is it Mel Easter. Gibson directing? Yeah, I believe so. Um, yes, it's definitely Mel Gibson directing, and it's going to take place in between the three days between dying on the cross and Easter, which is when like Jesus quote unquote like descended into hell or like purgatory or whatever, and like dude, if all the <coughs> if they if they turn that into like a like an Abraham Lincoln, like vampire killer, where it's like Jesus in hell. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like, like rescuing how, how all these gonna, people from hell. How are they going to portray that on film? Are they just are they going to use like the fucking Mandalorian tech and make some backdrops? And they they got to do it like like Doom, the video game, where he like goes to hell or whatever. You know what? I bet visually it's going to look like Ant Man Quantumania. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I really. Actually, I really don't care one Jesus way or Christ another. Jesus Christ and Mary, Quantumania. <laughs> I don't care enough to hope anyway. Did you see... Uh, Jesus Christ and the Multiverse of Madness. Speaking of speaking of our tours and upcoming movies, you see Francis Ford Coppola? Megalopolis? How is that movie getting, like... It's not even on, le- like, Letterboxd. It's, like, a thing you can, like, put on your watch list. Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I couldn't find it. It's on my watch list. Okay. Well, did you uh, did you read the Wikipedia article for that? He's like blowing like his entire fortune on it. Yeah. yeah. Well, he did the same thing for Apocalypse Now in 1979. So King Coppola once again. It's I can't wait for his. He bet. like sold his like winery or his wine collection or something. Something tells me this one will not pay off as well as Apocalypse Now. But also he's in like his 80s, so really, what does he have to lose? He's got a successful director daughter. He's clearly got tons of more money in the stash. So you don't think you don't think it's gonna be like. Critically good or just box office? I don't think it'll be box office good. I think it'll be critically interesting. Because this is the first time he's made, like, not, like, a personal art project in a long yeah. time. It's the first time he's made, like, a real movie, basically, since the late 90s, early 2000s. So, um... Anything really, with Adam Driver has me excited. I mean, I so. have no idea if it'll be good. The cast is absolutely stacked. Uh, the set photos look interesting. Obviously, there's, like, word of, like, basically... Apocalypse now repeating itself, where like half the crew is quitting. And, like, oh, I did read that. Like people want to like, or like this is the worst set I've ever worked on. And then Adam Driver like released a statement where he was like, oh, "It's actually not that bad here." Yeah, and he was like clearly taking shots at Rise of Skywalker. So I don't really know what to believe, um, but we'll see. Um, what the hell was that? I don't know. Yeah, Megalopolis. I'm excited for it. Um, I hope it comes out. It's not going to come out this year. It might. Twenty. I feel like 2024. They I don't. It said they're they're supposed to be done uh, done filming by like March of this year. So I don't know how how fast Coppola. Well, first of all, if it tr- if it is an apocalypse now scenario, they might not be done by March. Second of all, <laughs> it sounds pretty like effects heavy. 
I mean, okay. they're using the stagecraft stuff. They are using the Mandalorian tech. Okay. That's, that's just what I call it now. I just call it the Mandalorian that makes, tech. That makes, I mean, a, yeah. That was, like, the first thing to use it. Um, but stagecraft is what it's actually called. It's where they, like, put the... The circle. They do, like, the circle of screens, and they just project what would be the CGI background onto that so they can shoot it in camera. Yeah. Um, instead of doing it all in post on a green screen. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I think it'll be good. I'm... Honestly, the auteur project from, like, a lost master who hasn't made a movie in forever, obviously the one I'm more excited for is Michael Mann's Ferrari. Again, who knows if that'll come out this year, but it's rap filming because Driver is in it, and now he's working on Megalopolis, so we'll see. <clears throat> yeah, so in the same vein, upcoming movies, what's your... Give me give me one movie that's not uh, Ferrari. Killers of the Flower Moon? Yeah, that's pretty easy. <laughs> Uh, Nobody you, knows the title yet, but PTA is in progress of he's casting his next movie right now. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna. This isn't even a heat check. I think Oppenheimer is my my most excited, even more, maybe more so. And Killers of the Flower Moon. I read Killers of the Flower Moon a year ago. David Grant thinking it would be coming out last fall, and it didn't. So you know what? I, you know what I did when I was bored at uh, at work on Monday. What? I bought the 700 uh, biography Oppenheimer that that the movie is based off of. I I I'm I'm pretty pumped. You think he really set off a nuke? Nolan? Yeah. I think he set off a bunch of explosions to simulate a nuke. I think but he I, I think, think he nuked some small Arizona town that <laughs> we just haven't the media hasn't heard Yeah. That. It hasn't gotten out Maybe yet. he went to like middle of Mexico and just no, I think they staged a lot of, like, real explosions that were just, like, meant to simulate different parts of a nuclear explosion, you know? But th- they didn't actually, like, detonate a radiation nuke. Like, there was some kind of, like, mix of things. To, I mean, in the trailer, the nuke footage looks incredible. Like, it looks like Twin Peaks Season 3, Episode 8. Um, shout out. Any real ones, no. I think Christopher Nolan split an, ab- split an atom. <laughs> I don't think he split an atom. <laughs> um... My top five most anticipated. Killers of the Flower Moon 1. Untitled PTA film, number two. David Fincher's The Killer, number three. Oppenheimer, number four. Michael Mann's Ferrari, number five. You think Killer or Ferrari come out this year? Killer's definitely coming out this okay. year. They dated it, November 10th. Okay. that I'm, I think they... I don't know. I'm skeptical. Cause I, they, are, I, they already I, announced it. Netflix doesn't skip on that. Okay. States. And it's, it's, a, it's a Fincher movie. Like... He takes his time, but like, I don't recall anything he's made really getting. I'm just, I'm just, I don't want to get my expectations too high because I, I love Fincher so much. Well, that movie finished like wrapped filming like over like a year ago. Like they finished wrapping like end of 2021. They fin they wrapped production like end of 2021. So it's been in the it's been in the can for a while. So I don't see any reason it won't come out. To a to avoid redundancy, there's there's two Wes Anderson movies coming out this year. Asteroid City and Henry Sugar. I'm very excited for both of those movies. I'm more excited for Asteroid City. I'm a huge Raw Doll guy. The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. I don't really know anything about either of those movies, but I'm really excited about both of them. Oh, April is kind of stacked coming up. We'll be able to cover these movies on the pod because it'll be before I graduate. Um, Air, the Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. Oh, God. Founding a yeah. movie. I'm excited for it. Jason Bateman's in it. Chris Tucker, Viola Davis, Marlon Wayans. Christmasina. It's unfortunate Michael isn't here. He he definitely would have. Maybe, maybe we can call him in. Yeah. For that episode. Um, and then Bo is afraid. 
Oh shit! I didn't realize that comes out in April. Yeah, April stacked, man. Oh wow. Um, think Napoleon Ridley Scott comes out this year. Yeah, they are. They wrapped filming a lot. Okay, I'm really excited for that. Uh, what else we got? What is Joaquin Phoenix filming right now? Because he's got Napoleon and Bo is Afraid coming out this year, but is he in production on something? I wonder. New Studio Ghibli movie? Oh, I guess he's Joker. He's oh yeah, yeah he's the second one. Joker sequel right now. Yeah, new Studio Ghibli movie. I mean, that's super hype. Indiana Jones, you excited for that? I'm mildly excited, but I'll, yeah, How Do You Live is like the the new Miyazaki is is right up there, like you just said. Uh, absolutely no way this comes out like in the next like three years, but I'm excited for it when it eventually comes out. Uh, Kevin Costner returning to directing with Horizon, a 15 year chronicle of the pre and post Civil War expansion settlement of the American West. A journey fraught with peril and intrigue from struggles with the natural elements to the interactions with the indigenous people who lived on the land and the determination and at many times ruthlessness of those who sought to settle it. Starring Kevin Costner, my girl Sienna Miller, underrated, Thomas Hayden Church coming back again. This is like the third Thomas Hayden Church renaissance. Sam Worthington, Luke Wilson, Jenna Malone, Michael Rooker? Dude, I don't know when he's going to get this shit made, but it's gonna be dope will patton danny houston this cast is stacked bro <clears throat> costner's come back you know what i counter you with yellowstone gave him the blank check and now he's cashing it in with horizon i'm countering you with uh cocaine bear <laughs> cocaine bear ray liotta's final yeah. performance that's true that comes out soon right next month dune part two yeah I I need to I need to revisit Dune. I'm probably gonna watch rewatch Dune Part One like the night before I see the sequel. There's a movie that's been that has been high on my watch list, my most anticipated list for like three years now, and they I don't know when this shit's gonna come out. Maybe it's just not even like maybe it didn't even shoot. Um, but apparently Melanie Laurent, the actress who I absolutely love, is directing a movie called The Nightingale, The Lives of Two French Sisters Are Torn Apart by the Onset of World War II, starring Elle and Dakota Fanning. Sounds incredible. It got announced like three years ago. It's still on Letterboxd. You can still look up news articles about it and just absolute radio silence. I haven't heard about it. So I don't know if that's ever coming, but it's been on my most anticipated list since the pandemic started, basically. Um, Dead Reckoning Part 1. I need, Yeah, maybe we'll do a... a Mission Impossible deep dive because I haven't seen any of those and oh yeah I so I have the 4K Blu-ray set I'm gonna make I'm gonna make you watch okay all six of them. well we'll skip two two is on I feel like if I'm watching all of them I'll watch all of them all right we can watch two um undated but theoretically coming out in 2023 uh Adam Sandler's Spaceman is he directing that no okay he's starring in it but it's like. It's not a comedy, like it's a serious movie. Adam Sandler, Carrie Mulligan, Paul Dano. Isabella the Safties are working on, a, on another project Isabella with Rosalind. him, right? Yeah, I think that's what he's filming next. I think he just finished this. Let's see, what's his? I'm an, I'm hyped for that. I don't think it's gonna come out this year though. Uh, Netflix. They they wrote on the thing. It said like 2023, but it didn't have a specific okay. date yet. Which so I love the Safties. Um, yeah. That's the spaceman's on the safties. Yeah, I'm saying the whatever he makes. It yeah. Um, Barbie, obviously. Um, wait, I think I said that already. Uh, Maestro, are you excited for Maestro? 
You know, I'm really not. No? I haven't seen... I don't know if it's going to be bad. I just haven't seen A Star is Born. A Star is Born is good. I don't know. Bradley Cooper, he's cool, but we kind of... I don't know. I don't really... I know there's a lot of people who are excited about that, and I'm just not... You saw the trailer for uh, John Wick 4, right? I have... Yeah, I've I've only seen, like, one John Wick movie. That's another one I need to... Another series I need to deep dive into. Rogers Lanthimos has a movie theoretically coming out. Poor things. Sounds sick. Upon drowning herself to escape her abusive husband, a woman has her brain replaced with a brain of her unborn child. (laughs) With the help of an eccentric scientist named Godwin Baxter. That sounds like a Cronenberg. Emma Stone plays the woman, and uh, Willem Dafoe plays the doctor. He likes Emma Stone. Uh, Also, Mark Ruffalo and Margaret Qualley in that film. Oh, Ruffalo. We need more Ruffalo movies. Yeah, he's kind of been just chilling ever since Endgame. I mean, he was in She-Hulk, but like... Who watched that? I, oh yeah, he was in that. His green form was in that, anyways. Um, movie I'm kind of excited for. Uh, Jeff Nichols' The Bike Riders. I really want to watch Take Shelter, which is a Jeff Nichols movie. Because apparently people say he's a great director, but I just haven't seen any of his stuff yet. Um, over the course of the 1960s, a Midwestern motorcycle club evolves from a gathering place for local outsiders into a more sinister gang, threatening the original group's unique way of life. The stars of this film are Jodie Comer, Austin Butler, Mike Feist, and Tom Hardy, Michael Shannon, Norman Reedus, Boyd Holbrook. That just, all those people look like they should be in a biker gang, so <laughs> that's that's perfect. Yeah, especially Reedus. <clears throat> um, we're going to be doing a Knock at the Cabin pod. Uh, we'll probably be doing a Scream 6 pod. Yeah, I need to, if not watch all the Scream movies, at least watch the, the reboot from last year. Um, one movie I'm really excited for that just uh, premiered at Sundance that's getting really good reviews, uh, Eileen. Yeah, I, that, I've had that movie on my watch list since, like, like September. I, didn't, I thought that was going to be, like, a Oscars thing. I didn't realize it's going to yeah, be a... Sundance premiere probably comes out in the f- summer or fall. Yeah. It'll probably be an Oscar player for next year. But uh, Thomas and McKenzie and Anne Hathaway, um, I think I've said on this podcast before that Thomas and McKenzie is, like, my favorite young actress um she's great in everything um leave no trace incredible performance she's great in jojo rabbit but leave no trace um was like her real big breakout um that movie's awesome um yeah man that's movies movies we didn't even talk about like all the franchise shit coming out this year uh there's gonna be a lot of big releases king yeah this 2023 is the year we meet Kang. Maybe another another power shift in the in the DCU. Well, that's the MCU, but. Well, I know, but I'm saying, uh, DC too. Yeah. Well. <laughs> what do they What do they have in the pipe? I don't even know. You're gonna You're gonna have, You're gonna shit your pants when I tell you what movie is coming out this year. Okay. DC. The Flash. Yeah. Starring. Ezra America's Miller. America's favorite. Ezra Miller. Yeah. Well, it's a miracle that movie is still coming out yeah and then I think Aquaman comes out in December and then I think after that any new DC film will be James Gunn regime um so we need Battinson 2 immediately I don't care it's in production I know it is at least I need another trailer I need something else to look forward to like three there were like three years between Begins and Dark Knight let him cook I say let let Matt Reeves cook we don't need they don't need to rush it it's not even in production yet Pattinson's was working on fucking Mickey 17. He's probably got some other indie stuff coming. Let him breathe for a minute, all right? Just 
cool, cool, cool your <clears throat> jets, man. All right, you got anything else? Read the Daily Gamecock. That's true. <laughs> Are you gonna write anything for the Oscars? Uh, for them, uh, or I took movie reviews or anything leading up. So I was gonna do a she said movie review until I saw it. Because you said there's not enough here to write. About. Yeah, because I read the book. I read Killers of the Flower Moon last year, so I could write a review about it. I'll, I am gonna be here next fall, so maybe I'll write a review of that next fall. This fall, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this spring or this spring. Yeah, maybe Bo is afraid. I don't know. That's like the only really thing that will probably come out that'll really pique my uh, pique my attention. Um, yeah, maybe I'll contribute during the summer for an Oppenheimer thing. Because I kind of come to realize Nolan is, is probably my one of my top five like living directors right now. Maybe top three. I mean, he really doesn't miss. Even when he does miss, it's like the worst he can do is like Tenet. And Tenet is really sick. Yeah, so. I love Tenet. Um, I wouldn't have Nolan in my top five living directors, but... I mean, clear like clear four that I have to. I have a pretty clear top five, and it's a very film broy top five, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Okay. Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson, David Fincher, Michael Mann. Maybe I'm forgetting someone. Miyazaki's close. Nolan's pretty close. Tarantino's close. Um. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Oh man, this, this is so hard. I just left David Lynch out. I guess what David was the Lynch last movie he made? Inland Empire. Wasn't that like twenty years ago or fifteen? Two thousand six. Yeah. But I mean, he made Twin Peaks: The Return in twenty seventeen. He's too busy doing the weather reports. He is, and you know what? I'm gonna keep watching him. So. He lit. I mean, he literally made a one thousand minute film basically in 2017 with Twin Peaks The Return. Like it is, he directed every episode of that 18 hour show. It's his magnum opus for sure. So like that is a pretty, if he retires going off to the sunset with that, I'm satisfied. Like, but man, who would I kick out for him out of that top five? It would be either Fincher or Man. I'd probably, I'd probably kick out Man. Damn, that hurts though. Ugh. Fincher's definitely in my, my top five. Yeah. I just Scorsese and Spielberg just have to be in there by default. So I just there's, I mean they're the reason I love movies. So as as basic white boy as it is to say, they, they are. So all right. This was a really weird episode. We're not in our usual recording space, and uh, it's very late at night. So we hope that you. It's enjoy ten sixteen p.m. Some of our crazy energy. I don't know, but we're gonna keep on rocking and rolling. Is that from? I keep on rock and rolling for the new year. I think that's from Boogie Nights. Maybe. Oh yeah, it's when Mark Wahlberg goes up to accept the award for uh, best best porn star, and uh, Dirk like, Diggler. Keep on rock and rolling. They make it better films. Yeah. Shout out to my guy Dirk. Biggest dick in the West. What if What if Wahlberg went from Father Stu straight to another PTA, Boogie Nights spiritual successor? Yeah, where he's the Burt Reynolds character. Yeah. It should happen. No, he's he's no, too busy. Know, you know what we need? You know what we absolutely need and I could actually see happening? Hustler 3. Where Cruz takes 
like so it starts with Paul Newman as the hustler like the fast like the best pool player the young kid who's in it over his head the second movie he's a retired vet he's helping Tom Cruise become that guy Cruise needs to take the Paul Newman role in Color of Money and make The Hustler 3. Complete the trilogy. Get Marty back. Marty's first sequel. Let's fucking do it. Give me... Get, I'll, I'll write it. <laughs> Give me the check. All right? Cruise, Cruise can't live off the old guy still got it forever, though. But it's not the old guy still got it because he's the mentor. You, well, you haven't seen The Color Well, well he was the mentor in... Uh, I'm saying Top Gun, though. He, it's like the same role, is yeah, it Yeah, it'll be the second time he's done it. Who cares? And also... Top Gun, he's still, he's still the main action hero in Top Gun. Color of Money three or Hustler three, he'd have to relegate a little bit more. He could still, just like Paul Newman does, still like kick ass in that movie, and he does come back to pull at the end. Like it's still like Cruise is still the the main guy, the talented guy in that movie. You know, even though the movie is about Paul Newman's character. So come on, Cruise, do it. Just do it. Either that or make a movie with PTA again. Do something. I love McQuarrie. All of his movies rock. You guys are great together. Do something weird again. Do something weird again. That's that's my pitch to Tom Cruise. My heartfelt plea to my main man. Holy shit, this episode's an hour and a half. Thank you all for listening. This podcast is hosted by Noah Trainer and Max White, produced by Noah Trainer. Thank you.